I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Producer Raheem Shabazz continues the elementary genocide documentary series with the School to Prison Pipeline. That film exposes the social engineering done to African-American children in the school system. And his other film, Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, takes an even deeper look at the history of the American school system and how it was made to justify subjugating black Americans. These films are on track to be the most discussed films in black America. These films feature people like Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Kretz Welsing, and many, many more. The documentary is available right now at elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Hey, Atlanta. Have you heard? True Laundry Detergent is now offering free shipping in the Atlanta area. Just text the word TRUE to 404-493-0523 or give us a call. That's 404-493-0523. True Detergent is four times concentrated and perfect for those HE washers. Just one ounce removes dirt, brightens fabrics, and leaves each load with a clean, fresh scent. Best of all, True contains no animal products and it's safe for sensitive skin. Follow us on social media, True Detergent ATL. Peace and Black Power family, this is your host Raheem Shabazz and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast and I got the wonderful Zaza Ali in the building and as many of y'all know, she is not no stranger to Necessary Blackness Podcast. This is actually her second, but not her last, appearance on this podcast and as many of you know, She's also in Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. Zaza Ali, what's up? Peace, peace. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. And today what we're going to do, we're going to talk about her book. It's called Black Matters, Plagues of Dysfunction. And this is Volume 2. Her first book, which we discussed in our last podcast, was called Black Matters, Scientific Interventions in Our Affairs. And the second book is called Black Matters, Plagues of Dysfunction. So I read the book, and it's a very well-written book. A lot of research went into this book. You know how I know a lot of research went into this book? Because she actually has reference. She actually has notes. 
and you can actually go and do the research yourself. But one thing that I did found real enlightened is that everyday people can read this book and get something out of it. And the title matters for each subject you can relate to. Now, there was one chapter that I'm real fond of, and that was Black Girls Lost. And in that chapter, you recalled a day a black man named Otis Byrd was found hanging from a tree in Mississippi. And on that same day, the finale for Empire was aired, which was a two-hour season. And according to your book, an estimated 16.7 million people tuned in. Of that amount, 63% of viewers was females. So my question to you, Zaza, do you think that we use entertainment as a escape route to combat the trauma we suffer? Or is it that the majority of us just don't care? Well, you know, I, I thought that that was really, it was a real standout moment for me, you know, when the season finale of Empire and I, you know, I hadn't watched the show. I wasn't a fan of the show at all, but I went back home to Oakland to visit and um, I was, you know, in awe at how much fanfare there was from everybody around me about this season finale. And um, of course, you know, me staying abreast with what's happening in current events and what's happening in our community. I had uh, been aware of the situation with Otis Bird, and, um, you know, the, just the, the very staunch um, difference in the amount of attention we paid, not only that day, but uh, on a continuous basis. Uh, you know, it's not that we can't be entertained or that we can't, um, you know, be into entertainment, be into music, be into, you know, sports. I, I love sports. I love, you know, acting. I love movies. I'm a movie buff. Um, but it's just that our attention span, as far as when it comes to things that are a little bit more serious, opposed to things that are uh, temporal and only meant to uh, entertain us is very astounding to me. I also talk about in the book how as far as black women are concerned in our hair and the amount of money that we spend on the hair care industry versus the amount of money that we spend on, you know, things that are beneficial to our spiritual, mental and emotional well-being. Uh, there's a stark contrast. So, you know, you said, is it uh, are we using it as escape route, escape route or is it uh, to alleviate the trauma? I think that the the trauma in a lot of our people is so deep that we don't even realize that there's trauma there. You know what I mean? So it's like you are standing in the middle of a war zone and watching, you know, people, places and things around you crumbling and there's alarms going off at every turn and you're not even paying attention. You know, you don't have to be a Zaza Ali. You don't have to be a Raheem Shabazz, but just being mindful and being aware of things that are happening in the community before it's your son or your daughter who may become a victim of, you know, an oppressive system or police brutality or whatever it is. And then you call it on the people to help you. But, you know, prior to those injustices, we aren't really engaged in our communities. So I think that, you know, I say <laughs> black people worship celebrities like, I mean, it's crazy the amount of time and attention and energy that we put into that culture. Um, I don't think there's anything that, you know, 
you have a Michael Jordan, you have a Kobe Bryant, you know, you have these people who are manifesting, you know, their God given talents and they have every right to do so. But a lot of us are standing back in awe of them when we have our own skills and talents that we should be giving to the world and we can be just as great as them. It may not be in basketball. It might be in, you know, film producing or writing or, you know, uh, taking care of children or, or producing, you know, different types of events. So, um, I think the trauma within us is embedded so deep that a lot of us don't even realize that we, we have been traumatized. You said that nothing is wrong with, at times, being entertained. What are some of the entertainment that you like to indulge yourself in? I know many people want to know, you know, you, you write these books, you're very well spoken, and you study a lot. But I know there's a time in everyone's life where you have to wind down and relax and want to have that enjoyable moment. What are some of the things you listen to or look at? Well, I love, I'm a for real movie buff. So I, anything that comes out of the movie theaters that, you know, looks like it's a win, I'm there. I go to the movies by myself a lot because, um, you know, I just love to go to the movies. So it could be a matinee, you know, something at night. Um, Power, of course, coming out this weekend. I'm definitely going to be checking for that. Um, I'm real addicted to this show that comes on CNBC right now called The Prophet. Uh, this guy goes in and, and helps revamp struggling businesses. So um, I like Survivor, the TV show where they put all these people out in the middle of nowhere and, you know what I mean, make them go for broke. Um, I love nature. You know, that's why one of the reasons why I love Atlanta so much, because it's so green. So I love to be out in nature, taking walks, doing hikes, um, love live bands, live music. You know, I love sports. Um, finals just finished. You know, of course, I I was there with my Warriors game face on. You know what I mean? Yeah, Oakland represent. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big sports fan, always been a basketball fan. So, you know, I just I love greatness. You know what I'm saying? I was a big Tupac fan. Still, I'm a big Pac fan. But it's my love for him is, has, you know, evolved now to where I'm looking at the impact that he had in a lot of different ways. So, you know, I, uh, Nas, um, Pac. Uh, who else? Kendrick, man, you'll see. He already know. Kendrick Lamar, um, you know, love hip hop. Um, I grew up on Too Short and, you know what I mean, the dog pound at NWA, but you know what I mean? I love greatness. So I uh, love black culture and I just love, you know what I mean, this the beauty of this planet and um, finding God and everything. All right, now you spoke about Tupac. Have you seen the movie? And if so, what's your thoughts? I have seen the movie. And you know what? I have to go back and see it again because honestly, I've been like, I was going to do a video and talk about my review of it, if you will. But I think for half the movie, I was just kind of like zoned out. I'm, I mean, you know, it's like you see somebody that you had that type of intimate love for on screen. I was so critical you know what I mean? Of the actor that was playing Pac, you know what I'm saying? And all the different pieces that came in the puzzle, all the different. I, I don't think I gave myself enough time to really just sit back as a movie fan and enjoy the movie. You know how you say, um, you know, if you at a concert and you got a camera, you're not really enjoying the concert because you're so busy filming what's happening on the stage. I was kind of looking at the movie from a third party perspective, being a little too critical instead of just doing what I normally do when I watch movies. So I got to go back and watch it again. But I definitely learned about some things that I didn't know as far as um, the brother from New York that he was with that seems like he has something to do with his shooting. The guy who Pac had got real close with and Biggie was like, you need to watch out for that dude. I didn't know anything about that. You know what I mean? Um, of course, seeing his time in Oakland and, you know, uh, understanding how 
the government played a major role in, you know, putting oak crack in Oakland. And um, then his mother get, ended up getting strung out on drugs there. And you know what I mean? That whole element to his life. And I really wish they had honed in a little bit more on how much love Pac had for his people. You know what I mean? Like he was a real, real, real revolutionary. And then at the end, um, if they had, you know, they, they taught a class in, at UC Berkeley on Pac. You know what I'm saying? Like globally, Tupac has has amassed the type of following as an artist and as a rapper that is unseen. You know what I mean? Like nobody, when it comes to the impact that he had, um, the way he impacted people comes close to that. So I wish they had closed out with, you know, talking about the the situation at Berkeley, you know, maybe talking about the global impact he had and things like that to kind of close it out instead of just ending on the, that death scene. We spoke about television shows. We just spoke about rap music. My next question to you is the fictional entities that are portrayed on television in these rap songs, we all know it has an adverse effect. We are rhythmic people and the vibrational frequency of the music does something to melanin people. I heard you speak about this in the past. Can you enlighten our listeners a little bit more on this subject matter? Yeah, well, I talked about this. I have a video out now uh, that kind of touches on it. Um, the 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 power of hip hop, the power of hip hop, you know, the impact of hip hop, and the power of music. And I am finishing the editing for uh, part two, which is taking me a lot longer than what I intended. But I want to make sure that it's right. Um, you know, basically, you know, you could say we're mel- melanated beings and that's definitely, um, at the root of our, our scientific and genetic makeup, if you will. Um, but we are also vibrational beings, meaning that, you know, the planet is, is, is vibrations. So we know that, you know, the planet earth is 196,940,000 square miles. We also know that it is, uh, moving right now as we sit here, but we are not, conscious of it. Nine times out of 10, we don't even think about that, but we are on you. Whoever's listening to my voice right now, you are on a moving planet. So, and I don't want to get too far off into, you know, the science of, uh, somatics and, and, uh, vibrations. But if you think about a radio station, you know, if you, what's the popular radio station out here? Uh, one. Okay. So you got V103 and then you got, um, Hot 97, and then you got 89.3. So every time you tune, turn your radio dial, you are going to a different station. Well, the same thing goes with vibrations and frequencies. So they say love has a very fast pace uh, frequency, and then hatred has a more slow uh, vibration and frequency. Well, how do we know that? Well, if you look at the science of cymatics or even studies that have been done on water and you say positive and endearing and loving things to a glass of water opposed to saying hateful and disrespectful and mean things to a glass of water, over time you will start to see the love glass start to crystallize and form different geometric forms opposed to the hate glass. You will start to see it develop mold, develop decay and become dirty and dingy. So all of this is at the root of 
the science of music because we're talking about frequencies and we're talking about vibrations. We're talking about tones. We're talking about melodies. And we're also talking about the lyrics that are placed on top of all of that sound. So you can have the most beautiful, harmonious, you know, uh, song melody with a, a harp in the background or flute playing or, you know, different positive energy frequencies. But if you saying this bitch, this and this whole that, and you know what I'm saying? This, you know what I mean? Just constantly neck this just constant negativity. Um, it is impacting you and me as a vibrational being in ways that we are not aware of. Um, they've done plenty of studies on harp music, uh, Mozart music, classical music, and have shown healing powers that those music, different music genres, uh, have on the body and on the brain. So if we could, take that science and take all of that energy, which is rooted at the creation of the universe. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. So we're talking about sound. We're talking about the vibrational frequency that actually produces sound. And that being at the root of all creation, you know, you have an atom that is created by a proton and a neutron. So it is a a, a corpuscle that comes together and creates matter. So without going too far off (laughs) into my scientific thesis on this subject, um, if you want to get more information, I'm going to be doing a very in-depth video. I've finished it. I just have to finish editing it where I'm talking about the science of music and the power, the healing power of music, because we as a people have to understand that music is being used now to not only dumb people down, but also to keep you vibrating on a lower frequency. So if every song is about ass and titties, you know what I'm saying? Then that means that we have a whole generation of young people that's only thinking about what? Ass and titties. You know what I'm saying? If we had songs like Keep Your Head Up by Pop or Warrior Song by Nas or Ghetto Prisoners by Nas or, you know, the old school hip hop KRS-One and energy music that was vibrating on a higher frequency that was making you think. How much music is on the radio right now that actually makes people think? None. And it's not just hip hop. It's R&B, too, because a lot of the R&B songs now sound like, you know, an opening to a soft porn video. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's a very fascinating subject to me. And I think it deserves more of our attention because we can use music and pop culture to teach our young people about the science of the universe. Now, that was scientific. Yes, sir. That's what I do. (laughs) <laughs> and you know you you're a hundred percent right you know and and there's no one that can disagree with what you say because music is therapeutic to the soul, and our voice contains music. This podcast is on a vibration, it's on a pitch, and I think that's why a lot of people are gravitating towards it, so y'all keep on to that pitch and that vibration, and don't be. Low frequency slaves <laughs> listening to that nonsense. Change the dial. And you know what I'm saying? Even if you, you know, I mean, it's almost impossible to avoid it, right? You hop in a car with one of your homeboys, you know what I'm saying? And they playing free- future, right? You know, it's like, it's almost impossible to avoid it, but just know what it is you listening to. You know what I mean? And don't, don't give too much of yourself to that. I, I, it's, it's pretty much impossible for me to avoid it. And you know, my son, he, he loves rap, you know, and I don't, I'm not one of them type of parents that's like, you can't listen to this. You can't listen to that. No. Cause through my son, I'm, I'm staying tapped into 
what young people are doing. But at the same time, we having a conversation, you know, and if it's if, if the wrong thing is said in a song, now nah, you got to turn it off. You know, so I think that music is also another way that we can stay engaged with our children and, and, and be mindful of what's happening out here in these streets. Just protect your dome. You know what I mean? Don't don't allow too much access uh, to get in there. In your book, and this is very uh, good because I, I had the conversation with another young lady and I told her how important it is not to make statements that are inclusive of everyone. So in your book, you mentioned that we should use indefinite pronouns like some, few, many, and most. Because instead of lifting us up, when we make it inclusive of every black man, every black woman, it does a disservice to us. Can you speak to the danger of this? Well, yeah, you know, the Internet has given a, a, you know, this whole new platform to this anti-black woman and then anti-black man sentiment where you have... You know, Facebook groups now dedicated to men tearing down women and, you know, women tearing down men. And I just think it's insane. I hear so many times, particularly about women, you know, it's like if a if a woman is a single mother, she's a ratchet. You know what I'm saying? Or she's a thought. Really, bruh? Like, so you don't have aunties and unc- and, and, and grandmothers or women in your family that might have a child on their own, but there's, you know, still a good person. Um, you know, and man, women, there's a lot of vitriol for black men out here, you know, and I, I see a lot of it where it's just like, you know, and they get, they get mad at me, you know, when I, when I went through all my public stuff, public beefs, quote unquote, if you will. Um, and you know, the women came back to feminists and all these different sisters was like, yeah, see, we told you, we told you, you know, you was sticking up for these men and now look how they all turned their back on you and they did this and you didn't do it. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I'm not mad at all black men. Cause a couple of peons came at me sideways. You know what I'm saying? I don't hold that against all of my brothers. I had plenty of men, uh, brothers from across the country that reached out to me and showed me mad love. Like that are still in my life to this day. You know what I mean? So I think that, you know, it's important for us. And and I, as I'm talking about a book called Plagues of Dysfunction and I'm highlighting issues in our community, things that we don't really talk about. I made it clear in every section of the book. I'm not talking about all black women. I'm not talking about all black men. I know there's black men out here that are good fathers that are taking care of their families and holding their children down. I know there are black women out here who are, you know, in corporate environments and who uh, have, you know, great jobs and who have have, you know, sacrificed a lot for their careers who are good people. But then there's some elements in our communities that have to be addressed. We can't just say because we don't want to talk about all black women that we ain't we ain't going to talk about a lot of this foolishness that's happening with black women. And the same thing goes for our men. So I think it's important that anytime we we try to go to the root of our problems, we have to make sure that we highlight and emphasize the brothers and sisters that are that are on the job. Very profound. Very, 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 very profound. Now, moving along, I'm in the chapter. I'm sitting down. I'm reading. I'm in the chapter, How to Give Birth to God. Very profound. You go in depth in the science of mating. And I found that very interesting because it reminds me of a quote that Elijah Muhammad said where he talks about the open enemy will never teach you the science of mating, warfare, and finance. Uh, Enlighten our listeners to the divine science of mating as you see it. 
Well, I'm actually writing a book right now on that particular subject because, you know, it always, I, I spoke in the book briefly about, you know, the power of sex and um, the science of sex and the spiritual aspect of sex. Um, but it, it's always really bewildering to me how when the subject of sex and, you know, abstinence or being sexually mature or being sexually responsible, I always get a really big backlash. And it's not just from brothers, it's from sisters as well, uh, where we really you know, kind of negate the impact and the power of sex. And so I wanted to write a book that would be able to shine a bigger light and have a broader concept about this, this very powerful weapon uh, and tool that the creator has given us to produce life. So to not be able as a people to have a conversation about sex, about male, female uh, sexual intimacy while sex is at the root of a lot of our problems, whether it be abortion, whether it be sexually transmitted diseases, whether it be single parent households, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, women being molested, boys being molested. Um, there is a lot of things that is happening in our communities in a very dysfunctional way. For instance, I talk about in the book Lil Wayne and how Lil Wayne was sitting in, uh, he was recanting to one of his artists, a young artist, I think he was 15. He was telling him the story about how he, he, in his words, he got raped at 11 and baby, which was, you know, the, the founder or one of the founders of cash money. And about, he think he said 10, 15 other dudes were in the room and they had a female come in, a grown woman come in and give him a blow job, right? Give him, you know? And so, this is happening. This little 11 year old boy is getting oral sex from a woman and there's like 15 grown men around and everybody's laughing and clapping. And, you know, I, I, I just think there is a perversion about that. That is just, you know, we talk about trauma. First of all, there's something, there's a little pedophile undertone in that to me. And not that any of those guys were pedophiles, but you know, there's something happening when a 11 year old child has, is is turned on like that in a way that's you you it's almost like you can see the innocence being pulled from them in that moment you know what i'm saying and for a room full of grown men to sit there and to watch him have those you know those sexual um uh uh responses and he's dealing with a grown well you know uh a woman who's no who knows what she's doing and everybody in the room is just kind of getting off on that and then he's turning around and telling another young boy this i mean that's that is pure insanity and this is honestly why a lot of our men and i've learned this through throughout my life in different you know brothers i've had either dated or had relationships with or just you know homeboys that i had coming up with a lot of them were turned on sexually way too early chris brown eight years old you know, I talk about that in the book as well as Lil Wayne. So um, this is why it is important for us to have a conversation about sex, not in a, you know, your grandmama, you know what I mean? Trying to teach you about the birds and the bees type way where there ain't nobody really listening and checking for that. No, we talking about the root of life. We're talking about science and genetics and uh, the power that the creator has bestowed upon us and not just for giving birth, but, you know, you get into uh, synchronicity and, and Taoism and, um, you know, the ability to be uh, unified as one with another human being. I mean, it's some real powerful stuff that 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 is happening behind the scenes that you have the potential for with sex. 
as taught in some of the different Eastern and African cultures that especially here in America, we have nothing, we have no clue about that. So that's what I want to present in this book uh, and have a broader conversation so that these young sisters, you know, 16 years old, all on Instagram, you know what I mean? Showing everything, trying to get all kind of attention. You being like everybody else, you know, here's a little bit of science I can drop on you so you can kind of put that on the back burner and, and give it a little bit more time and wait a little bit longer. Absolutely, because when you do show your body, show those images and those pictures on Instagram, on Facebook, you actually inviting negative energy and all the energy of individuals that are grouping and going crazy over them images, in addition to disrespecting yourself. Now, we were speaking about divine intervention. You have a chapter called Accountability Equals Evolution. And in this chapter, it talks about divine intervention. And it has a quote in here. It says, the first free man is the man with no fear. And that's a quote from Dick Gregory. But the quote that I want to read from the chapter, and it says, in order to access the level of divine intervention, the nigger is going to have to die. So too will the Negro. It's one thing to talk about ancient kingdoms of Africa, Pharaoh, goddesses, and the likes. It's another to actually do what it takes to elevate the mind, heart, and spirit to the altitude. And I think, and it goes on and on. I'm not going to um, read the whole thing, you know, and give y'all the spoiler. Y'all going to have to go buy this book. But what I do want to say is we have the most intelligent minds on the planet, and our young brothers today, wow, they can tell you about ancient Egypt, they can tell you about Kemet, but that information is not helpful if the conditions in our community is relegating us to living in the projects. If we build pyramids, how can we still live in the projects? How can we call ourselves king and lord of all worlds when we got a landlord? So I definitely like that quote. And she goes deep into it. So y'all definitely have to get that book. But what do you think about individuals that deal with this high science and want to travel the universe but is basic necessities such as food, clothing, and shelter and preparing for the social ills of society that are we not dealing with on a daily basis within ourselves as well as our community? Well, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because this is, at, to me, at the root of why we are not making progress. You know, we talk a lot about economics. We talk a lot about health care. We talk about money. You know, every year the number goes up. I think it's $1.5 trillion now, money that black people spend every year. So we know we make the money. We may be you know, putting it in the hands of other people or it's leaving our community at this space. You know, okay, we know all of that. We know the statistics. We have the numbers. Why is it that we are not able to tap into a certain level of consciousness within our people to reallocate that money? How is it that, you know, we have African-centered schools all across the country that are struggling to keep their doors open, but yet we have all this money? How is it that we pay tithes consistently to church but yet we won't pay tithes to the organizations in the schools in our communities that are actually doing what the churches say they are supposed to do. So I always say, you know, it's, 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 
it's very commonplace now to talk about money and to talk about economics. And we need to have that conversation. But the real issue that needs to be addressed is the minds of the people. There has to be a mental and a spiritual resurrection among our people in order for us to, to gain some, some headway here. We don't talk a lot about discipline, do we? Do we talk about diet and, you know what I mean? No. Do we talk about, you know, I mean, in scientific intervention in our affairs, I talked about genetically modified food. I talked about the chicken and how the chicken was being pumped with all of these different toxins. And, you know, our daughter's having periods now at eight years old and 10 years old because they eat in Kentucky fried chicken. And, you know what I mean? And all of this, this madness, uh, we talk about farmland, right? We haven't even learned how to cultivate proper eating habits. We need farmland. We need agriculture. We need all of those things. But there's so much that's like down the street, right? You know what I mean? We have a plan to develop farms. We have a plan to support black farmers. We have a plan to cultivate land. We have these plans and things that we can do. But right now, today, there is so much stuff that we could be doing to be self-accountable. I always say, you know, it's it's it's, it's kind of difficult to talk about revolution if you can't run up a flight of stairs. You know what I'm saying? Like training yourself, your spiritual, your mental, your emotional, and your physical. And people who have been listening to me as of late, this is what I have been saying on every interview, every video that I've been doing, is that there has to be a level of self-accountability for us as individuals first. You see, you got leaders out here, people who calling themselves leaders in the black community that's still on that nigga frequency, still on that Negro frequency. And we have to be able to decipher the difference between the nigga and the Negro. I hate the word nigga, but I also understand that it represents a behavior and a culture that has been born out of this society. So you want to dead the, the, the word, you hate the word, then stop the behavior. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to argue about whether you argue with you about whether you're using the word or not. Let's get to the root of the problem. Let's get to the problem with the behavior. So I say all the time, you know, it's the difference between speaking, speaking truth to power and speaking life into another human being. We need to understand that our people are struggling. Um, a lot of them don't really, you know, I get emails and letters from people all the time, especially sisters that don't know when they come in and they go in got children or in unhappy relationships or overweight or just struggling within themselves. And literally there's so much information. There's so many voices on the internet now, Raheem. It's too much. People don't know. Like, it's like you got one person talking about, you know what I mean? The stratosphere and you know what I'm saying? The, 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 the ends of the universe. And then you got another person talking about, you know, polygamy and why black men need to have, you know, three or four wives. And then you got another person talking about strip culture and why, you know, it's dangerous for our community. Then you got another person talking about the slut walk and why women should be able to do whatever they want to do. Then you got another sister talking about feminism and why black women need, I mean, it's, there's so much noise out there. Some of y'all, if you are not secure in yourself, you need to turn off the noise. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you sitting back and insecure and, you know, feeling a certain type of way about your own life and you turning on the, the internet and, and now you, you know, you looking at Instagram and now you really feeling some kind of way, turn it off. You know what I mean? So that's that right there, Raheem is, is, is self-accountability. 
You know, you live it trying to live vicariously through somebody else's life that they showing you on Instagram because it looks so beautiful and you can't even turn the phone off because you so unhappy in your life and you won't even get up to fight for your own. So, you know, for me, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual every single day, we have to do something moving, moving us towards that end. I do yoga. I take Muay Thai. I'm constantly hiking and out in nature. Uh, mentally, I'm always reading. I'm always studying spiritually. I'm always, uh, meditating. My meditation is my prayer. And then emotionally, I'm always working on, you know, those, the fine tuning myself, fixing those things that I know are still plaguing me from my childhood or hood or plaguing me from, you know, patterns of behavior that I want to change or that I want to fix. So I, I'd like to leave the, the readers with that. You know, it's, it's not everybody's like, you know, we, we want, we want the answer. We tired of talking about the problems. What's the solution? You are. So be the solution. All right, and that is definitely a perfect ending. We all have to accept uh, responsibility and accountability for ourselves. We are the holders and keepers of ourself and predicament. And when you look at the word responsibility, you see respond and ability. So we have to respond to our ability, but we're not going to go just yet. What I want to do is I want to talk about What's going on in the news? Now, we know our brother, Philando Castell, was murdered cold-blooded by this racist police that was found to be not guilty of murder. We also know that Bill Cosby was found not guilty of rape. But what I find ironic is that it took them longer to declare a mistrial in Bill Cosby's case where he was accused of raping a white woman than it did the jury to deliberate and not convict the police officer that killed the innocent black man where there was video footage, where there was evidence. There's really no evidence that, well, when I say evidence, I'm talking about physical evidence that Bill Cosby actually raped this woman. What are your thoughts on that? And how should we look at that as Africans living in America where we can't get no justice? I mean, man, I, I, I've been here so many times, you know what I'm saying? I've been asked this question so many times over the years, (laughs) you know, from Trayvon to, John Crawford to, you know, Rakia Boyd to, oh my God, Mike Brown, Eric Garner, you know, Oscar Grant. I just, you know, Philando Castile now, uh, Tamir Rice. It's almost like there's nothing that we, it's, 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 it's like, I can't even believe, you know what I mean? We still having the same conversation. Like, what can we do about injustice? What can we do about creating justice in our own communities? That has to be the question now. And see, the the reason why that's a difficult question, and I know, you know, there's this is a fine line because people start to get weary when you're talking about a black man being murdered by a police officer and then you pivot and say, well, we're not community, we're not policing our own communities. You know what I mean? We're not taking charge of our own posts. The world, we have given the world a green light to disrespect black life. Okay. So we constantly hear and see about us murdering and killing one another. 
And then we go in an uproar when they kill us. Should we go in an uproar when they kill us? Absolutely. Every single child, every single man, every single one of us that has been uh, uh, brutally murdered by the police who we pay to protect and serve our communities, we should be on post for that. But at the same time, it's hypocritical of us as a people because we are giving the world the green light. We give the world the green light (laughs) to devalue and disrespect black life. So we need people, lawyers and attorneys and people who are in the political arena to fight that battle. Absolutely. But the the real work has to be done back to self-accountability in our communities, because what what can I say today about Philando that I didn't say two years ago about Eric Garner? Is it what can I say, Raheem? What can I you know what I'm saying? What can I say about what you want me to talk about the jury? You want to talk about how long they deliberated? You want to talk about the evidence? Like, what can I say about this brother that we didn't say about Trayvon Martin? It's the same thing. But the real question is, what are we doing different now than we were doing then? We know like we know what's going to happen again. Somebody hit me up and said a brother got shot in, I think it was Wisconsin or Ohio. Somebody sent me a message on Facebook. It'll be, I'm sure it'll be, you know, headline news pretty soon now. So they just killed another black man somewhere in, in, in the Midwest. So what have we done today that we weren't doing two years ago? What have we done differently? Because we know what's going to keep happening. That's the real question. i tell you what we haven't done. We haven't given white America that pearl-clutching moment. And you could take that for whatever it's worth. I'm not even going to get into that. Those that know and understand, ain't no need to explain. We haven't given, we ain't gave the dudes on the block that's robbing our people the pearl-clutching moment either. Right? No, we haven't gave them that pearl-clutching moment. But let me tell you something. Those individuals... They are more of an asset to us because we can change them. You know, what? Yeah, we have a keep it one hundred moment, but we can change them, right? They have that warrior spirit, right? Those individuals that are on the block and they selling drugs, they misguided. But guess what? They understand the science of economics. They understand the science of um, demand product and demand they understand the science of organization of risk factors and a lot of them have that warrior spirit and if we can direct that into a positive direction then i think we need to do that you know um they just ain't find their way now the individuals i'm talking about that need to have that pearl clutching moment is these heartless bastards that kill and, and take away from innocent lives and there's some drug dealers that do do that. I'm, I'm just saying, we, we having to keep it in 100 moment, right? Yeah. Okay, my cousin, Mike, Michael Dwayne Grant, was murdered in Oakland January of 2016. 9.9 times out of 10, he was murdered by some black men. This case still unsolved. Was he in the game? Yes. Was he halfway in, halfway out? The jury's still out on that. Was he, you know what I mean? Was his nose clean? I, you know what I mean? There's a lot of different layers to what he was doing in the streets and why they came after him and all of that. But that's a layer to the conversation. See, it's hard to talk about. This is what white people say all the time. This is what everybody says, Asian, Latino and everything. How could you get so upset about Trayvon Martin? But then this 
black man, Michael Dwayne Grant, gets killed in Oakland in broad daylight. Nobody says anything. Nobody saw anything by black men. And y'all don't say nothing. And you know as well as I know, because I know you from the streets. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure you could probably name off five or ten names that's been through that same experience. So what I'm saying is, because we know what white America has done, we know about the injustice, their script is already written. This same exact thing is going to happen again, either in a week or in a month or in a year. We're going to be here again having the same conversation, right? So what do we as a people have control over and the power to actually impact in our communities? That's the question. That don't take nothing away from, you know what I mean, trying to make a statement or, you know, somebody having a, to, to bust a move in order to, you know, put a little bit of fear in the police officer. I'm, I'm not even talking about that. We talking about self-accountability, what's happening in our communities and how we're giving the green light, not for people to kill our people, but they know we're not going to do anything. We're not out shooting them. We're not out gunning them. You know what I'm saying? But we also know, like you mentioned Elijah Muhammad before Elijah Muhammad, said, and I'm quoting him indirectly, that there would come a time, as long as we were on our dean, that we would have the white man wrapped around our finger, right? And he wasn't talking about shooting and killing nobody because he preached that we shouldn't even be carrying guns. It's the spiritual and the it's the spiritual war that we are neglecting, talking about self-accountability, teaching our sons and teaching our daughters. Where's the black bro- where's the brothers in the community that's policing our our streets? You know what I'm saying? How did Trey Von Martin end up 17? You know what I'm saying? Out there fighting for his life by himself. I'm, tr- I'm, one, I'm trying to see the village. And I said that in the book. We've been talking about the village. It takes a village to raise a nation. We've been saying that forever. Where is the village? Ain't nobody running up in the village like that. That's what our goal has to be, to create the villages. I, I agree with what you said, right? But right. this is my problem with that, right? When we wore silk robes and slippers of gold and was the richest people to ever be untold living in our motherland, right? We wasn't robbing. We wasn't stealing. We wasn't killing one another. And guess what? The Neanderthals came in and wrecked havoc. How Did they come in? Did they invade? We gave them silk robes. Okay. We let them sit at the feet of the pharaohs. So come on now. It's not about fault. It's, it's not even about fault. No, it wasn't our fault. But we made some mistakes during those times that we need to be mindful of and conscious of as we make our decisions on how to get through this thing today. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, you know, makes it seem like mixed race people came from slaves raping black women. No, mixed race people started because African men were taking European concubines by the thousands. That's where it started. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So let's not go back and romanticize the history. Let's let's really, really talk about it the way it actually happened, because it ain't no fault. It ain't no blame. I don't you know what I mean? We got to look at our history and and give thanks for everything that's happened to us, because me and you sitting here having this conversation right now because of it. All right. Let me ask you a question. If young brothers, young sisters in our community was to get on the right side of history and attempt to live a righteous life and be upright and be about upward mobility and we all looked out for one another and we start taking care of one another, do you think Maniac Psycho is going to stop the killing? I've seen, you know, I know who I am. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't move in fear. <laughs> My son don't move in fear. You know what I mean? And I've had to tell him in different instances when, you know, we watched the Oscar Grant movie and when the Sandy Hook killing went down and I talked to my son in a way that instills in him the power of God, not the fear of God, the power of God. You know what I'm saying? So we don't move in fear. I'm not worried about somebody killing, no police officer killing my son. I don't even think like that. And I think that because I know the power of my own thoughts and because I know the because I know the power of the creator because I know to understand the science of the universe that's where we have to be at in our minds now it's a lot of stuff going on in our communities every day Raheem that opens the door to these people coming in and, and playing and playing games with us what was the brother's name uh uh Romarley Graham yeah. in New York yeah, in he was running from the police right yeah. he was running from the police right you know what I'm saying? It's a lot of stuff. And I don't, I'm not trying to justify them killing him at all. That was wrong, blatantly wrong, no doubt about it. But it's a lot of stuff that's happening in our communities that's opening up the doors to these people coming in and, and continuously abusing and misusing us. And I'm only saying this because apparently they ain't going to stop. So then it, it then the, the onus becomes on us. What, what can we do? How can we pivot? But now we can't talk about Ramarley Graham and brothers in the in the in the streets selling dope if we're not talking about creating jobs cuz poverty breeds hopelessness you know what i'm saying it's easy to give a young brother a bag full of crack rocks if he ain't got no hope it's easy to give him a gun and tell him to go stick up a store if he ain't got no hope we have to instill hope we can't just go talking about banging on the beast and then we leave after the after the fanfare and the tv cameras leave and we don't have anything to give our children we doing them a disservice if we want to go into the communities where Philando, Philando Castile lived and where he was and where, you know, his hood and you know what I mean? What hope are we instilling in them young brothers and sisters that's there now? What jobs? What schools? What history lessons? What teachers? You know what I'm saying? So what do we have to offer them besides banging on the beast? That's what I'm talking about. That's the thing that I think is lost that we've we've really missed the boat on that self accountability piece from our people. I, you know, my third book is called Lifting the Veil on Racism and White Supremacy. I go in hard body talking about racism, everything from gentrification to um, uh, Katrina to you know Trayvon Martin to the different. I I know the script. <laughs> I can I can run it back to you. You know what I mean? Two thousand years. So I don't want people to see this. Oh, she on, you know what I mean? She on that bull. She on that spiritual tip. Now she, I know the script. I wrote a book about it. You know what I'm saying? I've spent a lot of my life studying not only racism, modern racism, white supremacy, but I went back and studied Europe because I was trying to figure out how this small group of people went around the world and took over. And we outnumbered them like 13 to one, 11 to one, depending on, you know what I'm saying? how they do that? It wasn't just the guns. It wasn't just the firepower. It's the mind. So if how we going to fight that mental war? How we going to fight? We still got little girls, black girls looking at white dolls and you know what I'm saying? Saying I, I want to look like her. Where's the outcry and the revolution against that? Because that's mental genocide. Yep. One of the things you said is that we have to instill hope. And we have to definitely keep hope alive. And I ain't talking about that hope that Jesse Jackson was talking about. I'm talking about the hope 
that one day, if not soon or in the near future, if there's no more hope to be kept alive, then we got to have that revolutionary hope. <laughs> but, you know, we got to look at it like this. You know, failure is not an option and victory is certain. And with that, I'm going to close out. Zaza, let everyone know where they can get this book from. Let them know your social media and give us some last closing words. So you said, what was the two things you said? You said victory is certain. victory is certain. And what was the other one? Jackson. Keep hope alive, but not the Jesse Jackson hope. Well, I'm going to say I self Lord and master, right? So that means rule yourself. It's impossible for a man to rule you when you rule yourself. That's my message to our people. That's my message to our young brothers and sisters in the community. It is impossible to be ruled by another man when you rule yourself. So go at it. Go at everything you do, whether you in school, whether you cut hair, whether you do plumbing, whether you, you know what I'm saying? Whatever your thing is, your niche is, focus on ruling self, mentally, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. People say, well, why you didn't say economics? Because if you master those four traits, the money is going to come. Trust and believe that. Um, my website is ZazaAli.com. You can get my books there. I definitely love and appreciate all the support from all of the people around the world who support me, who write me, who, you know what I mean? Just follow what I do. I'm in and out on social media. You know, it's hit or, hit or miss with me right now because I'm focusing on my writing and really kind of taking my work Um in a different direction as far as cultivating, you know what I mean? The God self. That's really what I'm about right now. But my Facebook page is Zaza Ali, Z-A-Z-A, not Zaza. Y'all know y'all be playing when y'all be mispronouncing my word. My name is Zaza, Z-A-Z-A, and then Ali. Um, I have a Black Matters Facebook page, Black Matters Zaza Ali. I'm on Twitter at Zaza Ali underscore seven. I'm on Instagram at Zaza Ali, Zaza underscore Ali. 78. And then you can also go to my website, zazali.com and all of my social media um, links are there. My YouTube channel, all my videos, interviews, blogs, etc. cetera. Um, just stay strong. You know what I'm saying? And focus on being righteous and being true to yourself and you can't lose. And I appreciate you for having me on my brother. Um, yeah. And I'll see you again soon. That's it for us here at Necessary Blackness Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to us on Google Play. And also, you can email us personally at NecessaryBlackmanspodcast at Gmail. I will see you next week, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Also, next week, we're going to drop another podcast on Friday. Special guest family. Make sure y'all stay tuned. This is Raheem Shabazz with Necessary Blackness Podcast. Peace and love, family.